So, um, rather beautiful arrival, it's rather special piece of Buddhist art that uh, has been gifted to us, and I, I was very pleased with the positive reaction everyone had to it. You know, when you when you initiate anything, you always you always stick your neck out, don't you? And that's uh, starting monasteries and or even teaching in anything where you where you put yourself out in front. Initiating something is always a risk. And the risk is that it'll fail, or people will um, blame you or disparage you. And the possibility is that something good can come of it, and there'll be some benefit. And risk is risk is okay, isn't it? To 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 take initiative for the the good of a community or to do something which you think might be helpful for others. If risk is just based on personal uh, preferences or, or personal needs, then of course it's a, it's a fearful thing. But if risk, you know, like giving a Dhamma talk is kind of risky because, you know, people will, how they'll react or whether they'll walk out on you or throw a tomato at you or it's never happened. People are very kind. But Whenever we we put ourselves out like that, the risk is really to the ego, isn't it? It's not. There's no real physical risk, but our sense of self can be uh, embarrassed or put down, or all the investment one has put into something can fall through the cracks and be a complete disaster. But to not initiate anything, to take no risk, to take no responsibility, to just sit in the background and let everyone else do it, that's a kind of a, that's what adolescents do, I suppose, let Dad do it. And that's not a very uh, rewarding way of living either. It's not, you don't learn much either. So to put, put oneself out in some way for the benefit of community is actually a, a beautiful opportunity to to do. But still, I was very pleased with the reactions people had to the book. <laughs> Because, you know, I hadn't seen it, right? I, I had seen the wax. But, you know, oh, very dumb, oh, your taste is up the tube. Yeah. But that shouldn't matter, because the intention is not personal gratification. It's simply something one feels might be benefit of the community. But within it is always ego. That's the way we, we are, aren't we? You, know, you, you do something for community, but you also have a kind of personal investment in it. And that's the, that's the bit that's fearful. That's where the fear arises. 
So separating that out and looking at at fear and fear of blame, um, fear of disparagement, fear of rejection. These are powerful feelings that we have as human beings, and uh, they need to be made conscious. And once you make them conscious, they're no longer a threat. So they're not, you're no longer f- afraid of fear. And then when you're not afraid of fear, then fear starts to cease in the mind. And when it ceases in the mind, then you have a heart which is uh, connected, not alienated, and that connection is not through some kind of ego dominance, but through love. Through because when 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 fear is no longer clouding or covering up our interpretation of life or perceptions of life, when it's not filtering stuff out, then that fearlessness is is uh, compassion. Because you know when that fear's gone, then you can really you really look at people. Not because you want anything from them, but what else would you do? And so that connection is very, very beautiful, very rewarding. Uh, and then fear is that energy of alienation. And whenever that energy comes up, it's really important to make it conscious in the way we do and, and not think that it's a problem or that it's wrong, but give it its, give it its voice, let it, let it run its course. And it will run its course if one gives it that chance. So, otherwise, we're always worried about what the, each other thinks, or uh, afraid of being blamed, or... The senior monks get that a lot, because we're, we are the, we're the authority figures, and you know, we have a lot of kind of social power, and then people uh, are always... Uh, they relate to us in ways which are very loving and, and respectful, but oftentimes just uh, fear. Fear comes up in that, and that's that's pretty natural because we're conditioned through society and through our upbringing to have fear for authority figures, respect and fear. So, and some societies have that more, some less, and some some egalitarian societies have well, parts of society have no respect for elders at all. But in a situation like this, elders get a lot of respect, and then there's a lot of projections that, that might go on and those are very important to look at to, to look at uh, the sense of uh, uh, fearfulness like around rules that uh, you know lay people come and they they want to do their very very best and they're they're afraid they're going to do something wrong with the rules uh, which is a which is a nice it's a nice attitude in the sense that one wants to do it right but to also look at the fear yeah? because basically, you can't break my rules. Only I can break my rules. So, not to worry. But so fear arises in, in many ways uh, through rules, through peer group sensitivities, uh, through um, hierarchies, senior, junior, through authority figures. And some of it is just simply uh, our history of how we relate to others and how we relate through life. So some are more imbued with it, some less. But it's something to be very, very welcoming to. You know, if you if you welcome fear, not in a way where you hurt yourself, like where you go into a a dangerous situation or you put yourself in emotional danger or physical danger. Not not that, not some kind of foolishness, but to actually see that the, the welcoming of fear is really the, the beginning of the ending of fear because we fear fear. You know, we're averse to fear. 
and it's uh, it, and that seems to be the sort of natural way to do. It. And fear comes up, do something about it. But to actually do nothing about it, but still just go into the flame, as it were, into the fire, and feel the fear in whatever social situations that might come up. It's a courageous thing to do. You see, you can be be a, a frightened person in a situation, but you don't have to be a coward. And cowardice is the not, the unwillingness to uh, awaken to fear, to see it as, as, as a condition. But to say that you, you know, that cowardice is one, a, per, a person who's a coward who has fear, no, that's not it. Uh, it, it it's the knowing of fear. And you realize how much of our uh, sense of self is driven by fear and desire. Very powerful, powerful energies. And if, if fear manifests and you have enough presence of mind to know it, it's actually a kind of rare, I think, because people either push their fears down through certain kind of personality tendencies, so they create a personality around fear, or they just run away from situations that are fearful. Um, but if, if for some situation the fear comes out, public speaking or fear of blame or, or whatever it is, then that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because now it, there's a chance for it to be conscious. And when, when, you, when you have enough, first of all, a social situation where the fear is not dangerous to you, and you have a social situation where everyone's okay if you feel fear, and you have enough practice and presence of mind to know all oh, fear is like this, that it's an object, that you are not ultimately a fearful person, then you've got all the ingredients there for the liberation of fear from consciousness. But that takes takes uh, takes time. Doesn't just happen through your. Doesn't just take place because you understand how to do it. It takes place because that understanding is sustained through through long periods of time. And so I've been talking about decisions and choices, uh, and the the decision to awaken to fear of many things that we need to awaken to. But just as one example of a practice which covers many things, but to the decision to actually awaken to fear and see it as important makes you more awake to it, just that decision. And then the choice to constantly welcome it into consciousness, welcome the fear, what does it feel like, is counterintuitive. But that's what metta bhavana is about, really. Metta bhavana is about the capacity to allow something like that to have its full, full force, into your consciousness. And I think it's only that way it's released. And the release from consciousness is rather, to say the least, unpleasant. Like Paul's famous phrase that it's quite often an emotional enema. It's like this stuff coming out of you. And uh, But the beauty of it is that, that through the awareness of change, as you adopt that that posture and that, that attitude again and again and again and again, keep making that basic choice. The confidence, the confidence to be with something like fear grows. It grows because you know that is refuge. You can trust that. You can really trust that. And then the and then the uh, you start to realize the end of fear, cessation of fear. And then the heart just has this natural freedom and love because. It's not contracted with this alienating energy of fear. So it's very, very, very important to allow that. And when, when we say welcoming, 
it's not like you think fearful thoughts. It's you, you, you welcome it as a, as, a, as a mood of the mind. And this is like Lomposomedo's phrase, it all belongs. It's like this, it all belongs. It's a, it's a beautiful cap, a couple of captions on how to practice with something like fear. It, all, it is like this, it's like this, is the awakening. And then it all belongs is the accepting, the opening to that. But fear, fear's habits are not to do that. Fear, fear's fear, as it were, likes fear. Fear likes fear, if you anthropomorphize it. So, the willingness to do that sometimes doesn't come so obviously. It, it, it's something that's probably learned through, through nothing else working, maybe. So, even though one might hear this, then when fear comes up, it, the response to it can be push it down, distract. And, and you can use sometimes meditation, like use the sound of silence maybe just to get away from fear. You know, just you know, disassociate in some kind of way. But I, I would suggest that when fear starts to manifest, that's a good thing. It is a good thing if you if you have the if you have trust and faith in in what. And that's a question I always put to people. What well, What do you What do you have trust and faith in? What do you really trust? I was thinking of Kalyanamitta, you know. With Ajahn Sachito here, you know, he's such a fabulous, I mean, such a fabulous man. And to have him as a friend, I think, wow, good come. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, well, what, what is Kalyanamitta? And Kalyanamitta beyond friendships, you know, what is, what is it that you trust? So, like, I trust the end of the outbreath. Well, that's a really, you know, the end of the outbreath is a really good friend. One day it's not going to be. <laughs> And then I'll say, well, all friendships die. So that, that's okay. But for now, you know, the end of the, it's really nice, you know, it's a good friend. And the outbreath. So fear, fear comes up. And what do I do? Take refuge in thought? Thoughts? Um, I don't know about you, but some of my thoughts are not Kalyanamita. You know, it's, like, it's more like coyote, isn't it? Trickster, the thought, 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 sometimes it's good. But the end of the out-breath, now there's a friend. So if I trust in the end of the out-breath when fear comes, what do I do? Well, I, I say, what, what are you doing, out-breath? How are you doing down there? And then I'm actually with the fear. Okay, I'm with the fear. I say, what other friends you have? Well, for me, heart chakra, that's a good friend. That's a good, good friend. So if I'm if I have some anxiety or worry going on or annoyed at someone or whatever, so, you know, I go, hey, what are you doing, heart? How, how are you doing there? And that's, a, that's a good friend. Good friend. So, what, you know, what kind of friends do you develop over the course of your meditative career? And, and these, are, these are things that you just come across that, that work. Because you, know, you can trust them, they're friends. And that, that's why teaching meditation can't just be some kind of a technique, one size fits all, because, because we, you know, we have these, we're complex beings, and, and we have, you know, complex sense, sense experiences, and we have memories, and, and we think, and, and all the rest of it. So I think just that living, living a contemplative, meditative life, you just come across stuff which are, 
that's a good friend. I'll remember that. And you return to it, don't you? You just kind of settle back. You use it. You return to it. You remember it. You recollect it. And that's a whole array of things that we all develop intuitively. So you might find you know, many, many techniques help you, help work. But it's the, it's the returning to them as friends, which is a nice way to look at it. So the last one... I, I think the last time I gave, gave some instruction, I suggested uh, making conscious no thought. And that's a really good friend. I'm not saying stop thinking, because that's not a good friend. Because that's the, that's the judge in you that's trying to get rid of thought. But rather welcoming onto the stage no thought. It's a different way of looking at it. Because you can do that. You can't stop thinking, but you can welcome no thought. Because if you try to stop thinking, you just get kind of constipated, and then diarrhea comes out. You get mental diarrhea going on, and and blah 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 blah. That's that's of course repressive and holding down and forceful. And most of us realize that doesn't work. But there is a place for making conscious no thought, because no thoughts in there all the time some way when a thought you know when you when you notice you, that you're fantasizing that moment of noticing is no thought so no thought is something that we in the beginning we we don't notice much because our our, our thinking mind is so rapid but as you if you meditate you develop the capacity to be present and and more and more aware of thought as an object you you, you start to touch that no thought so then as you you know, yeah, that, yeah, there's a gap between thoughts. They start to say, well, you invite it. They say, oh, there's a nice friend, no thought. Rather than starting to think that you shouldn't think, or hating your thoughts, or analyzing yourself, why do I think so much? You know, that's just more thought, but actually making conscious no thought. And, and you can do that all the time. You just listen, no thought. So you make a choice. From what? Why do you do that? Well, because you, you decide that no thought is actually a very interesting way of processing something like fear. When, when fear rises and you welcome in no thought, then you feel the body doing its number on you. And, and you know, it's really quite a jangled energy. But now it's not something that you're trying to figure out or fix. Because thought's always trying to figure out, fix, or get away from. Whereas no thought... It's allowing this arising, say in this case, of fear just to be the way it is. Because you're not trying to fix it or do anything about it. It runs its course and you have the peace of cessation. Not notice how when, when you have a, some response to someone, say on this retreat, which is in some way negative, you start to feel averse or jealous or uh, put upon, or whatever it might be. Notice how... Right away, you think you have to do something about this. You know, it's a threat. These things seem like a threat to you. So one either, you know, blames oneself or others. But actually, it's not really a threat. It's just a condition. And, and seeing that, that sense of, I have to do something about this. It's not so conscious. It's more visceral. And, and, and coming back to no thought. Because if you think you have to do something, but you start to analyze it, it's just, oh, this is just a kind of jangled feeling. And, and you abide with no thought, then that jangling is uncomfortable. 
and the, the attention wants to go to thinking and analyze it and do something about it. But no, no, just no thought. And you'll find that then that's when you're in non-grasping and you're knowing change. And as you know change, you see that there's that unchanging wisdom, presence, consciousness, which allows things to change and realize, ah, that's the refuge. That's the one I can trust. That's my real friend. That's my Kalyanamita. The knowing, the awareness. So that that welcoming of, of playing around with that, like just, oh, no thought. What's no thought feel like? You do that. You do that a lot. In the midst of thinking, you can do that. You have a lot of thinking going on. Say, so yeah. And what's no thought feel like? As opposed to just running around the circle of thinking, judging yourself and trying to figure it out, which is really, really endless. So combine things like that. And the out-breath, the chest, the heart chakra, fears this way, it all belongs. No thought. That's a whole combination of stuff that you do almost in- intuitively, don't you? It's kind of all that kind of comes together as one practice. One separates out the th- different elements of it. But when you're, when you're doing, when you're working with your stuff and, and things arise, all those elements which have worked start to, start to function in, in a kind of intuitive way. If you've, if you've seen that they work, if you've seen that body awareness, breath, end of the out-breath is actually a very interesting place to look at emotions, or if you've seen that your thinking mind really doesn't solve the problems that awareness does, if you've noticed what compassion really is, and that welcoming something awful doesn't really hurt you, and all that all that informed insight is, I guess that's what Lumpur, like why Lumpur Sumedho uses that phrase, intuitive awareness. Because awareness, it's not just about a kind of a functionality around life, that now I'm walking in ice, be careful I won't, that I don't slip and break my leg. It's more than just functionality, it's a whole background of practice which is informing your awareness. So, Sapajanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension. And your clear comprehension is always informing you on what's going on and how to, how to operate it, what to do with it, with it and about it. We all have, you know, we have sort of just a few major themes that drive us crazy. You know, fear, anger, desire, things like that. And the projections of our fears and desires are myriad, but actually those energies aren't that many. They're not that many, you know, three or four, five. So once you start to separate out all the projections and storylines and narratives and just get to the raw energy, then you really, your practice is quite strong now because it's not superficial in thought. It's more deeply embedded in, in the arising of these habitual patterns. And as you, as you bear witness to them and they come through you through this kind of purifying vehicle, then, then they, they have no power to recreate themselves because you're not caught in thought. And their energy dissipates. They're not feeding it anymore. They're not believing in it. Not, not fueling it anymore. And that's what non-grasping is about. Non-grasping is allowing the latent tendencies, the, the anusaya, to, to, to run their course. It takes courage. It takes patience. Uh, it takes a willingness to persevere. All those, all those good factors. But what else is there to do? What else works? You could eat bananas. Maybe that'll work. Drink fruit juice, or distract, or you could read a lot, study this a lot. But when push comes to shove, your buttons get pressed. It's very, very helpful to just allow it to be. 
welcome it. And welcoming is not indulgent. A welcome is compassionate awareness. Where welcoming would be wrong, so they just indulged in it. So I feel angry at you, so yeah, I'll welcome it. And I'll punch you in the head and swear at you. And that's great practice. <laughs> so obviously that's not what we're talking about, right? But it's that, you know, we're always like looking at like the vibhava tanha and bhava tanha. So vibhava, all these things like fear, there's a lot of vibhava tanha because it's, it's, you know, we don't want it. Who wants fear? I want to be happy and peaceful. And so the vibhava tanha seems a very natural way to operate, but the, the, the kind of intuition, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive again, but say, no, no, welcome it, it's all right. And that's because you trust in awareness and change. You trust in that more than the habit and narrative of getting rid of and running away from. It's you know, many people are willing to do that. Most people blame or run away. So I'll leave that for your reflection. Antamayam tamagataya sadhu karangadamase sadhu